Bernard Tobin here for Real Agriculture. Today we are talking both beef and dairy. Uh, the practice of breeding dairy cattle to beef sires is not new, but it has certainly gained more momentum in recent years. Today I'm joined by Dr. Mike Steele from the University of Guelph to discuss this growing trend and how and why he believes beef on dairy can help the Canadian dairy industry become a sustainable source of beef. Hi Mike, hey thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Hey, let's start this conversation with a look at surplus dairy calves. How many are there? Um, you know, and and how how do you define a surplus dairy calf? Yeah, absolutely. So, in addition to producing milk on the dairy farm, we're also producing calves. We call them surplus calves if they're not going to be producing milk in the future. So, typically, that would could be a call heifer or a probably beef. Uh, or animals that will be destined for the beef or veal industry. And they've been Holstein for uh, historically for some, some time, and predominantly male Holstein. But this has changed uh, recently because we're now using a lot more beef sires on dairy farms, and we have crossbreds. So we define anything that's destined for the veal or the beef industry to be a surplus calf in the dairy industry. And uh, if you look at North America, we're over 5 million of them being produced here in just the United States and Canada. Uh, and, it, and it's growing, actually, especially with all of the crossbreds being used, which is growing at, uh, in the beef semen being used on dairy farms, it's growing at an alarming rate uh, at this moment in time. So that's how we define surplus dairy calves, and it's a big number that's growing, actually, right yeah. now. Now, I had a chance to take in your presentation at the Southwestern Ontario Dairy Symposium in Woodstock, uh, Ontario, last month. Um, you know, there you talked about the opportunity for beef on dairy calves and, and how these animals, you know, could really become a sustainable source of beef. Tell me, tell me what you're seeing here. Yeah, well, it's fascinating because if you look at the methane emissions from the beef industry, a lot of it's coming from the cow-calf herd. So yes, of course, the feedlot is also a source of methane, but a lot of it and the majority of it's coming from the cow-calf herd. So if we could potentially, you know, create some of these crossbred animals that are that can be, you know, up to 50% Angus and be a certified Angus, actually we could probably produce a source of good quality beef from the dairy farm. Uh, so you know, a better carbon footprint, less methane being produced to produce this uh, beef animal. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest one. Uh, but yeah, they fit in quite nicely. And I think uh, there's there's several other advantages to to having this option for, you know, veal farmers or also beef farmers. Right. Now, Mike, a big question, I guess, that needs to be addressed is how these animals fit into the beef production system. You know, you know how they move from the dairy all the way, you know, to the feedlot and the abattoir. You know, how does that happen and what type of challenges uh, does it present? Yeah, traditionally it's been, you know, these calves are born on the dairy farm and then they're transported to a veal operation. But now with the dairy beef market opening up, this is changing. So we're seeing, uh, you know, all kinds of variations of this. But typically this uh, dairy beef animal is born, goes to a nursery farm and potentially a grower then a backgrounder. Sometimes these are different farms then eventually a feedlot. So there's lots of transport. However, what we're noticing with some of the larger operations is that, you know, we're, they're taking in calves very young and raising them all the way to the end. So there's many variations, but we're noticing a trend to kind of move and integrate all the different 
uh, age groups into one facility. This minimizes stress, obviously, from transportation, which is a huge amount of stress, especially on young animals, too. So I think that's uh, where it's coming from and also, you know, just a lot more opportunity to grow them faster and and with less uh, antimicrobials if they're, you know, the management is controlled at every single level. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also a lot of discussion about, I guess, the growth characteristics of Holstein versus beef in the carcass. Um, you know, there is there is variation in size and cuts. Um, what challenges does, does that pose at the packing plant and, and, and how do you tackle that? Yeah, the biggest difference if you look at purebred dairy versus purebred beef is the ribeye area is, is not as big and they have smaller ribeye steaks. Uh, but there's lots of, you know, with crossbreeding, there's lots of opportunity to improve that. And mm-hmm. if we understand the genetics of that, I think that we could improve that really quickly because uh, we know that some of the crosses have similar ribeye steak um, shapes as well and sizes. Uh, but yeah, there's also advantages to dairy as well. It's more tender. And there's very little differences in taste as well when you compare uh, Holstein and Angus. So I think it has a lot going for it. I think with some refinement, we can actually produce high quality steak from these crossbreds. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I think a bigger issue is right now is that there's reports, especially from purebred Holsteins going through feedlots and in the abattoirs having a lot more liver abscesses. So there is this concern that the crossbreds will have liver abscesses. There's ideas that this is probably coming from early life nutrition since the way they're reared is very different from a traditional uh, native beef calf. So so that's something to look at because it really does slow down production. And obviously, there's uh, health issues that, to be considered, and animal welfare issues as well. So so I think that's another thing to look at, and which does affect what happens in the abattoir and the slaughterhouse. Right. Now, in your presentation, Mike, you noted that you know more research needs to be done to, to learn how to better manage beef on dairy calves. Um, but you did identify a number of considerations for the industry and producers. Let's take a quick look at some of those, starting with uh, the need to understand, and I quote, developmental plasticity in cattle. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I think every calf, uh, when it's born, has lots of potential. And depending on how you feed that animal or manage that animal, it can affect its future path. We call this developmental plasticity, kind of molding this animal into something. Now, we can't change its genotype at all. We can't change genes at all. But we can change what genes are being expressed based on how we feed and manage that animal. So that's what I mean by developmental plasticity. And I think there's lots of opportunity to use this. So, for example, there's lots of research looking at vitamin supplementation, even prenatally in the beef industry, and how that affects marbling of the offspring in the feedlot. So uh, lots of work and potential here. Uh, but even early life feeding regimens, it's something that I think requires a lot more attention in uh, the dairy beef and also the veal uh, sectors. And I think that it's really critical to reinvestigate how we're feeding these animals and making sure that our recommendations and what we're doing in the industry will lead to the most efficient, healthy animals that can produce the best quality product for the consumer. Mm. I I think that that work is just about to start. And Mike, you know, that's a great segue to my next question. And because you know that, you know, producers really need to do a better job um, of, of colostrum basics, for example. Yeah, so I, I absolutely. I, I think that it starts with the even the first meal 
of life, so making sure that they have high-quality colostrum, and then transitioning them to uh, higher planes of milk, and then proper weaning strategies, so weaning them a little bit later in life uh, compared to replacement animals on a dairy farm, and having a very gradual weaning as they go on to higher-energy carbohydrate-based solid feed diets. Hey, Mike, last question for you, and that is about what the industry and producers need to learn here. And, uh, you know, the University of Guelph has uh, just built a new beef feedlot research center, a great facility. What role can can that play in the future, you know, of of beef on dairy and and, and sort of filling that information gap? Yeah, I think it can play a huge role. So we're really excited here at the University of Guelph to not just have a new dairy farm, but also another cow-calf farm. And last year, uh, there was a feedlot built, which has incredible research capacity where we can measure feed intake on up to 300 animals at the same time in a feedlot. So pretty amazing. And some of our plans are to measure methane emissions from these animals too. So our overall research objectives are to understand how the genetics of these animals. So we're using all these sires, but we really don't understand you know, some of the evaluations of these sires. And we want to do and create better biomarkers so that we can understand what these genetics can actually lead to in the future. Uh, But also a huge part of this program is to understand how early life nutritional interventions can impact growth efficiency, health, also the end product uh, of the dairy beef or the crossbred animals. So, So that's the main objective. Uh, But obviously we want to generate useful data that can be you know, used by dairy farmers and beef producers in Canada and throughout Canada. Uh, so we, we do have some basic research where we want to understand some of the some of the biology, but we have a lot of applied research where we can hopefully have something for the producer to use in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's an exciting field. It's obviously just emerging right now, but I think it has tremendous potential. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, uh, you know, it really is fascinating work, and uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity.